Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Bryce Lynch of the 10-Foot Pole blog joins me. Bryce reviews adventures with a critical eye and pulls no punches. About halfway through the podcast, I thought maybe Bryce was winding down, but he was just getting warmed up. If you love the show, join the Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. It is time to face the cold, hard truth, unfettered by how it makes you or me feel. Sisters and brothers, it is time to get rambling. Hello, Bryce. Hello, Bryce. <laughs> you know, I've had my spies go out, I've done a lot of research, and the conclusion I came up with is that you're a jelly donut. <laughs> I am a Berliner. That's right. Um, I've got a, a friend who, uh, what's funny about the, uh, we had an email exchange. I had a guy I knew at work, and one time I thought he was talking in metaphor. So I started talking in metaphor. And then partway through, I realized he wasn't talking in metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It's wonderful. Right. <laughs> There's a and lot so of. We, uh, you started talk. saying things you were. I'm just like, I'm going to stop because I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you're famous or infamous for uh, the 10 foot pole uh, blog. That's right. I think it's 10 or 11 years now. It's been going strong and uh, full of ennui. So. <laughs> Yes, it sure is. Yeah, it's been uh, it, what started this. I'll just go ahead and show. I a while back I got the Temple of the Blood Moth. Oh yeah, right. And uh, it's been brought up a couple of times on the podcast by different people, and uh, and also it always comes to well, I say always, but uh, then um, it's brought that your review of it uh, was very glowing. Uh, of Great. this and so then it's like i was like well i need to get that guy on and, and they thought i met you and i was like no this other guy it's like well why would i not have bryce come on if he's so willing? <laughs> well let me answer that because i don't do anything <laughs> you know you know that's easy isn't it <laughs> that's right <laughs> i just was telling somebody i hope he doesn't review my podcast the way he uses the modules <laughs> No, 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 absolutely not. <laughs> okay, at least that's that's the next blog next next year, huh? Right, that's right. <laughs> so, I mean, your style is definitely, um, well, I say style, but I mean, you, you definitely have a, uh, a well, I guess I got to say style, panache, a direction, a voice. So, I mean, when you start, I didn't go back to, to blog number one, but sure. it's kind of like, is in general, what what made you decide to even like go this avenue? You mean reviewing in general, or the yeah, style? you're like one day you're like, you know what, has module? I don't know if the first one stunk. Did you say this is so bad? I must warn the world. Absolutely, it did. So you know, I don't know. Eleven years ago, I go to Gen Con. Gen Con. I'm in Indianapolis. Gen Con's here in Indianapolis, convenient. And I just go whole hog and buy I don't know six hundred dollars worth of adventure modules. And they're all kind of first edition OSR kind of adventure modules. Um, and uh, I'm super excited, super excited about them. 
you know, online, Dragon's Foot, Knights and Knaves, the blogs, everybody talks about how wonderful, you know, Module X or Y is. And I get them back, and man, they just stink. I, they're just the worst of the worst. Um, and so I start taking notes about them. And then I think, well, rather than just take notes, I'll post my notes online, right? So the blog is just my own personal notes for me about the adventures. And then over time, it's morphed a little. There were some other people that read the blog and had some suggestions and were like, hey, if you did this, it'd be a little more useful. So I included that as well. So eventually it becomes, um, or I guess from day one, it starts off as this is what's bad about this adventure and this is what's good about this adventure. And I think this is probably why it's bad or good for those reasons. And then over time, we add a few things to it, like where you can get it and how much it is and the marketing blurb and a few other things just to make it easier on folks that are reading it. And then inevitably, I repeat myself and say the same things over and over again, because you never know when somebody's coming into this new and fresh and doesn't have the background of either following the blog or my own personal running journey. Right. That makes sense. And so uh, do you remember which, what was the first module you, you, uh, you, you, you took the, uh, the, uh, the microscope to or the examination of? You know, I think the first one on the blog might be uh, Green Flame. I think it might be a solo adventure from Pacesetter. Uh, but that wasn't the first one that I kind of picked up. I think I may have picked up a few, or I should say examined critically and thought this is garbage. Um, I think it may have been just some indie adventures from no publisher. And then there were a few of the advanced adventures scattered through there that as I was going through, I just thought, man, these are not, these are not what I was hoping for. This is not what I was looking for. My, exhilarating expectations were crushed <laughs> good advanced adventures uh, from the AA line that's pedicious but the first few I picked up were not good I didn't start at number one number one's great it's a Matt Finch odd caverns uh, but I think I must have started at like 12 or 13 or 20 or something and it was just terrible yeah, I think the thing too is and I've I've thought about this and talked to people you know on one hand, I can see both sides. Um, you could say, in, I guess, because I've kind of been on one side of it. It's like, you know, you work hard, you put something out, and G.K. Chesterton said something to the effect of uh, it's something worth doing is worth doing poorly. Is it, you know, <laughs> you want to do something, just do it. You know what I mean? Don't, don't wait until it's perfect. But then, and I think, you know what? Somebody's put their, their heart and their soul. But at the other hand, too, it's like, you know, th there should be a certain level of expectation. And you should hold yourself to a standard. So it's like, I see both sides. It really makes sense. You know, the idea that, you know, maybe don't put things out so quickly. Maybe just think about it a little bit longer. Maybe spend a little more time polishing it. You know, there's that old saying that real artists ship, right? So you've got to publish. And the only way you get better writing is continuing to write. And you've got to finish a project to move on to the next one, man. Like, you can't keep adding paint to the painting. Uh, but at the same time, you're charging people for it generally and here i am showing up wide-eyed and you know happy uh, and i buy your garbage 
Well, <laughs> you know, that's not really fair to me, right? It's no, just, it's not. <laughs> uh, and yet, I, as with you, I agree. Um, people need to write, they need to publish, they need to do things. So, you know, we try not to criticize the designer, but rather criticize the work that they've designed. Right, right. You're not a bad person, but man, you wrote something bad. <laughs> With certain ex- uh, exceptions to that rule, but yeah, absolutely, right? So you've got you've to write. I, I would feel terrible if someone was like, there's no way I'm going to write because I don't want to review, right? Well, you've got to expect that shit if you create. If you create, people are going to have opinions on it. Yeah, and I, you know, thinking about that, because I used to, uh, uh, did the um, art photography bit, um, and I remember somebody coming up to me saying, well, and I would go to these, like, um, uh, like farmer's markets and art fairs, and one guy came up to me and was remarking about, he kind of thought about doing something, but he was afraid that somebody would tell him, you know, that his, his, his pictures were, were terrible. Right. Well, how many times does anybody go to those th- events see something they don't like and walk up to a person and say they don't like it. I mean, it doesn't happen. Like you are right. worried about something that really isn't going to happen. And you let that fear stop you. But even if somebody does, maybe there's something right about like, you know, with what you're doing, I mean, I look through it and maybe I don't necessarily say you're exactly right, but you're never wrong either. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, um, Oh, I was going to go someplace with that. Um, and in particular, um, so I try to include feedback, right? I try to include if something's wrong, why it's wrong, or if something's right, why it's right. Because I think one of the other things that happens is that designers, particularly new designers, don't get feedback on their work. Right. Um, it tells them what's good or what's bad about it or what the expectations are. Uh, you, you look at the vast majority of adventures published, and they'll have no reviews at all, at least none of substance. Um, and you're just left hanging out there. So we at least try to provide some criticism. I would suggest it's constructive criticism. Some people might not agree. Um, And uh, hopefully they take that to heart and uh, do better in the next effort. And I think the vast majority do. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I mean, you know, as people who do create, I mean, that is, it is a necessary thing. I mean, you're right. You can surround yourself with your buddies, with your parents, with your brother and sister and tell you what a wonderful job you've done. And, but you're right. And sense, somebody's got to eventually say, you know, you could do better here. <laughs> you know, I'm not your mom. I'm just a rando. Right. So, so, I mean, is so, I mean, because really, I mean, the, 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 we'll just say this is a very Frank, this is a very Frank, the blogs reviews are just very Frank. It's, it's yeah. not, you're not, you're not there to be one direction or another. You're just, it's just saying, this is the way I see it. And this is why I see it the way I see it. Right. So I mean, I guess like, and I don't know that many people have really have approached it that way. And I'm not sure there's probably many reasons why I don't know, but how's that like affect, like I would say affected you, but I mean, does that, um, I mean like the feedback you get or what you think, I mean, how's that, come back to you your style i guess does that make sense i mean does do you get a sense of people saying yay you're doing a great thing do you do you feel like some people are negative towards that approach or I mean, what's what's kind of been your approach as a person who is a very strong 
Sure. I would say a very strong in your opinion. Well, I would say strong in your opinions. We'll say a strong voice. Um, strong voice, yes. Who has a very strong voice? So uh, there are a couple of things that I think go on. Um, I think it's refreshing to see curation, and I think that's essentially what most people, if they're not reading it for entertainment, they're looking for curation uh, to get a pointer towards something that might be interesting. And I think when you're curating, as I am, uh, with the reviews, uh, people appreciate the frankness, right? They want to know whether this is good or not. You don't want to read between the lines about whether it's good or not. And you want to, in particular, describe why you think it's good or why you think it's bad, for a wide range of audience. If somebody doesn't like plot games or somebody does like plot games, you at least want to get out there. This is a plot adventure. Um, so they know, well, Bryce didn't like it because it was plotty, but I like plotty stuff. So, you know, maybe this is what I want. So even when you give a critical review, you can get this, you can get an adventure review written in such a way that people that don't agree with you uh, can still find it useful and productive. The number of people that comment critically is relatively small. It tends to be a designer that is very defensive uh, and perhaps <laughs> ownership of what they've created, right? You got to create these things and then throw the baby into the ocean and forget about it and go on to the next one, right? Uh, they say uh, uh, the best response to uh, feedback is thank you for your feedback, right? <laughs> and move yeah. on, <laughs> uh, which is true advice. Uh, I wouldn't say that I have responded a lot to what people have either liked or disliked about my style. I've taken pointers here and there about things that they'd like to see included in the review. Uh, But I will say that there was a a great moment early on when um, I think I gave a critical review of an Alfonso Warden adventure for uh, Expeditious's uh, Advanced Adventures line. And uh, boy, it was just really bad. And I think it was the first review that, you know, I really was like, this is terrible. This is garbage. I mean, there's nothing good about this. And I got a note back that was like, hey, great review. You know, I thought you were one of those guys that liked everything. And this was in the early days, 10 or 11 years ago, when all you saw were glowing reviews of things because everybody kind of palled a lot around with each other online. Yeah. They were all friends, right? So you don't want to write a critical review because you're going to break those friendships. You're going to have to deal with this designer because they're in your friend group or they're also on the forum or they're in your game. Uh, but this feedback that I got that, hey, you know, that kind of let me know that it was okay to be critical uh, and fairly critical of adventures and go on about my way. I wasn't really a part of the forums. I wasn't really a part of the social circle. So I didn't really have to worry about burning down relationships. I had my own thing going on. Again, these were just my notes. I wasn't promoting anything. It was just my notes on what I found in the adventures. Yeah, I think what you say is is very good. Because, you know, if somebody, I kind of know, will like say, say they like or don't like a movie. And then I haven't seen it, and I don't know them very well. I'll start naming other movies to triangulate. <laughs> right? I had a, what was it? There was a guy at work, and he was like, this restaurant's great. And I knew that that restaurant was terrible. And I was like, okay, on a scale, you know, when you say this is a magnificent restaurant, the greatest one ever, like, what are you giving that on a one to ten? And he was like a three. <laughs> like, and what's Applebee's? Like a four. 
I'm like, okay, we've level set now. I know what to expect from you. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It is really funny because, you know, we all, you know, have our own experiences and things we like for, for whatever reasons. And I think I've also, like you said, with, with your reviews too, it's like, I look at something, it's like, you're right. And you may look at something and say, well, he's probably right on this. I'll probably need to fix this, but it looks worthy of, because I think sometimes you have even mentioned, you know what, you know, there's a lot of, there's some problems with this, but overall it's a great adventure. It just needs a little bit of help. And you're like, okay, I can, I can deal with that. Right. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Right. So I'm fairly harsh in my judgments um, and uh, have a pretty strict standard, but I also recognize that my uh, proclivities are not the same as other people. And, you know, you might, if you're looking for a medieval authentic adventure, there's not going to be a lot of those. So if one comes along, that's kind of good. Maybe you do want to spend the time and effort to memorize that, highlight it, take notes or whatever, right? If the problems aren't too egregious, then maybe it's worthwhile. Right, but another keep on the borderlands, yeah, it's going to get savaged. <laughs> yeah, almost as much. Right now. Yeah, yeah, it's and it's uh, you know, and we're now in an age. I mean, because things have changed, obviously, in, in ten years, zines are becoming more of a thing. I think probably more self-publishing than ever before. I mean, what's your take on on stuff that's coming out? Well, I, I think it's fabulous. Uh, I'm uh, I'm a year late for writing a 10-year retrospective. I was just thinking about that the other day. Uh, but we are certainly in the golden age and have been for the last 10 years um, of adventures. Um, you can imagine there are probably, I don't know, 10, 15 adventures a year that come out that are really good adventures. Um, and you can imagine in 1982 or 1979, if there was a good adventure coming out every single month, you, you would look back on that and say, you know, this is the greatest time ever. And that's what's going on now. Uh, just the best adventures ever are coming out. Uh, particularly those under OSR-ish kind of banners. Um, there's a lot of room there um, for whatever the OSR means to you. But that is clearly where... There's a lot of creativity. There's a lot of understanding about what makes a good game. Uh, and people are paying attention to how to make it useful to the DM. Um, I think we are in the best state we have ever been in with seeing adventures coming out. I think the excitement has perhaps waned a little bit um, as Google Plus died and the blogs kind of have ramped down some. Uh, the forums have kind of stagnated a little. Um, I think we are seeing less excitement, uh, less buzz, but the good adventures continue to come out uh, at a really steady pace. pace. Uh, even from the Zine crowd, the um, Morkborgians. And oh, yeah. People, you know, we see good things coming out of there occasionally. Um, so absolutely, we're in the best state we've ever been. Uh, this is a fabulous golden age for playing old school D&D. Yeah, I think what's happened is, in my mind, is a lot of those independent uh, game designers from the odds, like the Forge, uh, generations later, that same kind of spirit turning itself towards the OSR and sure. saying, you know what, let's just simplify, but yet still take some, you know, imbibe a lot of the sensibilities of the OSR, but also just say, you know what, we're not going to be restrained by, sure. you know, those 
the you know you know people wanting the same old things. But I think it's you're right, and, and it's, it sounds to me that the number of people who uh, will complain about the direction uh, Fifth Edition's going and about the directions Adventures going, and like you don't even have to go that neighborhood. There is you can explore for. A, thousands of years of all this great material you don't even have to go over there why are you complaining about something that's a thousand miles away you have to go out of your way to be upset about (laughs) yeah absolutely and i I find myself drifting into those thoughts sometimes i think you know you attach the dungeons and dragons label to something and it still has meaning um or some of us still think that it has meaning incorrectly um and i think we get a little prickly when we see that and say no this isn't dungeons and dragons this is vampire the masquerade um but hey it's chill right they're having fun that's yeah. wonderful it's like looking at i don't know critical role and thinking that's what D is no that's something else <laughs> they're having a good time though so you know yeah we'll, we'll it, doesn't, it doesn't affect what's coming out for os for old school essentials absolutely absolutely <laughs> right we continue to get new players coming in we continue to get all of these great things i think there's maybe a little jealousy uh in the OSR seeing all of these people engaged in something called D&D that they don't consider D&D and maybe a desire to have more new players at the table, right? Everybody wants everyone else to like what they like. <laughs> yeah. And I think to, 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 I think sometimes to bring a younger crowd and I've kind of said certain dichotomy with the younger group I would run games with uh, for is, you know, they grew up on anime Sure. Uh, so their experiences were, you know, I grew up on Thunder of the Barbarian and, and Elric books. So, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, it's just different. We're, we're different people. And, you know, and sometimes people are unwilling to, to sometimes let the gonzo be gonzo, you know, <laughs> it's like, right. It's a, you know, I mean, so it's just, I think people just need to be more open and there'll be young people that want to come our direction and there'll be older people that want to go their direction and it's okay. Yeah, you know, so I, I will insert some personal opinion here. I think 5e is essentially an activity and not a game. Uh, but it's cool. If, you know, the whole point of everything is just get around with your friends. And for me, get drunk and have fun with them. Uh, and whether you're engaged in an activity or a game, it doesn't matter. That's kind of what the whole point of the thing is. Uh, and as you say, um, as I have, I specifically remember an incident where I was running a OSR game at a con. And the 5e tables filled up. They were running Adventure Path or Design, whatever, Adventures League, I guess. Uh, those games filled up. There were people looking for games. They came into my table. Took them about 15 minutes to figure out what was going on. And after 30 minutes, they were setting kids on fire and using them to distract goblins. So <laughs> they picked the fuck up and, uh, you know, were gleeful players, which is absolutely well, the thing is, I to me, what I don't understand as far as uh, fifth edition, it, it, and people love it, but it is it. What surprised me is its success. And it's kind of like in its weird complexity. It's like mm-hmm. there's so much things that could have been stripped down and made more simple. And I think there's probably some leftover stuff that could have just gotten been gotten rid of entirely. Um, you know, but they don't because of legacy. But it's right. just a weird. It, it's it's kind of a weird amalgamation like you know like like osc at least you have stat roles to make your stats meaningful but 
but you know, a lot of the editions, it doesn't really matter whether you have an eight strength or a nine strength or 10 strength or 11. Like why do we even have those numbers? Why don't we just have a plus one plus two, zero minus one, you know, things like that, which would simplify it. But so I don't know. It's kind of, to me, a weird situation where they, it's just kind of odd. It, it seems oddly designed, but it's popular, but it's complicated in a way. It's kind of confusing. I'm not sure how they got by with that and be so popular. I think they are, they're targeting a specific niche and they have, I'm absolutely certain have a marketing department that is on top of it and a market research department that is on top of it. I think they can't drift too far or else they lose the banner of Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, but Eight versions from now, I'm sure that the stats will be plus one, plus two, minus one, whatever. <laughs> um, and you know, people are having fun with it. That's that's cool, right? I mean, have fun with it. Um, oh yeah, yeah. And it probably, in some ways, it's not really any more complicated and convoluted than Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Well, so yeah, maybe. Um, I think there's also, you know, as I say, they they found their niche there are people that are into rules mastery, right? We saw that in maybe second edition with kits and then third edition online with min-max builds. Um, and now people seem to like looking in the rule book for a rule, right? And <laughs> understanding how to maximize whatever. Hey, I got news for you. I'm the dungeon master. Like, rocks will fall if they need to fall like i don't care what the rules are man rocks fall people die <laughs> right uh but you know people get off on that uh and that's that's great right they have a right. spot of rules mastery plus spotlight role playing um, so so i i played so i played um like moldvay then i went to advanced D in high school then it was a big hiatus, and then I did when fifth edition came out. I played some fifth. Edition. I played just a smattering of three point five. Didn't like it. Um. So, so what have you? I mean, like from the beginning, like where did you start? In like, did you follow each progression, or was there a oh, point yeah. where you got off the train? No, 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 no. So I started with Holmes, switched to Mold Bay, went to Metzner. Uh, probably around the time of Mold Bay, I you know, inserted a bunch of AD&D into it the way every 12-year-old did at the time, not really understanding these were different games. Uh, followed that through second edition and then kits and complete whatever books and then into third and then 3.5. Off to four. Uh, my greatest regret in life is that I poisoned my children by starting them on four. Uh, uh, there was some weird edition after four where they revamped shit. I don't know what that was. Uh, if I skipped something, that was it. Uh, and then um, switched to five. Um, or I shouldn't say switched to five. So along about four, I came back to OD&D, basic D&D. &D. Uh, and then, of course, picked up five because if you want to play D&D publicly, you got to play five, right? If you want to go to a game store, you, you play five. If you're advertising for players, you got to play five. Um, or if you want to go to Winter Fantasy and play D and D for eight days straight, you got to play five. Uh, but you know, my playing of five is I play five the way I play basic. I run five the way I run basic, which is I don't really give a shit about the rules, man. <laughs> We're rolling the hit here. Yeah, 
it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, so are you pretty much like, do you, do you play or run other like non D and D style games? Or are you pretty much just tied into the fantasy? So I used to, um, I used to play extensively many different games. Uh, I believe Call of Cthulhu is the greatest convention game ever. Like I love playing Call of Cthulhu one shots, tried some campaigns. I don't think they work very well. I'm sure people have opinions on that. Um, so, so why don't you think they work well? So uh, Call of Cthulhu has a specific problem where in a con game, because it's a one-shot, you can yeah. get away with doing something that you know will lead to your character's death. Yes. You push the big red button, you can go down in the basement alone, whatever, because it, you know the game's going to end here in 45 minutes, so it's about time for everybody to die anyway. But <laughs> in a campaign game, you have both the pressure of keeping the group together uh, why are you all still doing this shit, right? Um, and kind of keeping your character alive, making intelligent decisions. Hey, like, we should not go down in the basement alone. Well, that's no fun. Like, going down in the basement alone is what makes it fun. Paradoxically, I think Delta Green makes for a terrible convention game, but makes for a great home game. Um, because at that point, you have a reason to be together you're the Delta Green team. And right. in a con, it works against you because there are things you should do because it's a modern game. We're calling somebody in, right? We're calling our contact at the FBI or whatever. We're doing something that we know we're supposed to do. And thing when you know you're supposed to do something, I think it's less fun than a Call of Cthulhu game. So that's specifically why I call it Cthulhu and yeah, and I could see that. And I think there's certain games too. You're right. Like probably Paranoia is probably, even though I, only, I played it, I think at a game store once, but it's probably another one where it's great for a con game, but it's like, it may be hard to say a campaign of Paranoia, but maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Right. No, I think you're, I think you're probably right there. Right. So, and I think there are a lot of games that are like that and they're fun games, right? You have a great time with them, but you know, they, they can't sustain uh, long-term play. I think maybe Dungeon Crawl Classics, is a lot like that. <laughs> I think nothing recreates the D&D experience better than Dungeon Crawl Classics. But again, I think it's harder to maintain the pace of a campaign uh, with something like that. Yeah, because because everybody just burns stuff up, but burns stats like left and right when it comes to, <laughs> the, to the... I don't play it... I don't have the, I don't have the, I don't have the mental bandwidth. I don't have the, the processing power to run. I don't think a DCC game, but I sure enjoy playing it. Uh, I've got extensive experience with indie RPGs uh, from the early days of Forge and indie RP. What's the indie RPG store? Whenever that, maybe it's indie RPG. Whenever that shit came out, uh, I was yeah. all over that. Um, and famously, that's when. I think I was in a fiasco game and I wrote an article someplace. I think it's on Fortress Ameritrash where I was like, this entire genre is empty. It's not a game. It's an activity. I don't want to play an activity. I want to play a game. Um, and so that was essentially the last time I played an indie RPG or one of the story-based games. Right. I should clarify. Uh, yeah. I still play them every once in a while. If, like, go into a guy's house and he's got a game in the basement. I'll sit around and play it, but it's not a game. It's an activity. Well, I mean, I think the thing too, it's like for a, for a, like um, a pickup, just something to, to fill in between game. It's like, 
and I think it's really as far as that goes. And that's one I played at a convention. So I think that's another great, you know, I guess we'll say convention activity. <laughs> right. No, and I, no, and I agree completely. Right. I, yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to come down too hard and sound like you know this is not cool because it's fine. But I think you get something different out of it than you do what I would call a game. Um, and as you say, you know, not everybody's there. You're gonna pull out a board game. You're gonna pull out a fiasco. Sure. Like we're passing time. And again. The goal is just sit around and have fun with your friends, right? Yeah, and I think I do agree with you because that's not something I don't know that anybody would. Well, I should say, yeah, probably most people would not want to play that week after week. Sure, right? Um, like my first love is science fiction and Game of World in particular. I am jonesing for a new Game of World edition. Uh, second edition, third edition of Game of World are the greatest games ever in the history of the universe. Uh, again, like they're not campaigns in Game of World are really short, uh, but you can string them together for a few months, uh, six months or so. And during that time, they are absolutely wonderful. Um, I don't write about it much because there's just not a lot of content there. I also think science fiction games are incredibly difficult to run. I don't know how to DM those, so I guess I don't know how to review those. Um, but it is absolutely my first love is traveler science fiction games of all times. So. Yeah. Traveler. Th- th- I don't play it much, but for whatever reason, that's like, it's probably the deepest to my heart is traveler. Um, I, I don't know. I just, I still pull out the black book and look at it. <laughs> so in college, I played in a traveler campaign with all of the astrophysics PhD students uh, and I have a fond memory of them calculating the horizon sight line of a Dyson sphere. We pistol would go before it hit the wall. <laughs> and I was like, dudes, like, I'm going to like go get some pizza while you spend the next 10 minutes with this math problem out. Right. It was fucking an awesome game. Though. Well, what's funny is because, <clears throat> you know, so many of these games, you know, we, we think of it being as a game, but they're really games within games, and sometimes games within games within games. <laughs> and so sometimes character creation is a game. That's kind of a sure. mini game. But for That's these people, they created another mini game out of this thing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, right? Traveler is famous for the mini game where your character doesn't. And I think maybe I think maybe the original cyberpunk, you could also die in your life path. But, uh, <laughs> not as common as Traveler, man. Like, what are you role-playing today? I'm role-playing a 78-year-old crippled pilot. That's what I came out with, man. Like, his intelligence slipping, his strength is failing, his eyesight's terrible. But you know what? He's got he's got uh, back suit six. He'll rock on. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's kind of funny. And I love Gamma Roll too. I think I think the problem is I think. I think the problem I have with Gamma World is I know what I want it to be. I just don't know that it'll, it's like Star Frontiers. Like Star mm. Frontiers, the I want to be that art, but yeah. the game system isn't that art. And I don't know what it is to make it to that Larry Elmore or not Larry Elmore. Uh, who's the artist? It was Elmore? It was Elmore. Uh, into that art, right? I don't know how to do that. I don't know that anybody has. 
but uh, and that same thing with the gamma world. It's like there's a feeling I know I want with it, but I don't know how to, you know. And I also find younger generations aren't as excited about mm-hmm. this stuff. Like maybe post-apocalyptic was a symptom of growing up in the nuclear <laughs> age, right? Yeah, but, when Russia was a threat, I'm glad they no longer are. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, I, I think Game of World works perfectly for like a murder hobo-like campaign arc where you start off with spears and then you find a rusty gun and eventually you are like laying waste to the local villages, you know, <laughs> doing what you do, becoming the new overlord. <laughs> I think you're right. But I think the other thing too is with the mutant powers, what makes it weird. I realized, you know, uh, or at least I realized it, it came to me years later that really mutant um, Gamma World was really superheroes in a post-apocalyptic world. I think you're right. Um, I think it's a little bit like that. It's almost, um, I'm not sure what, what, what was that movie with like the all the superheroes die and like the only superheroes the superhero league of Hoboken maybe something like that. So you know you've got these characters that are barely living, but the guy's got life leech and depth field generation, right? So <laughs> uh, you're ready to go, but like you die when you breathe oxygen. Uh, and so there was this, um, I think, reputation that it had of it being a comedic game. And I certainly think that it created absurd situations, but every time they tried to make, the designers tried to make humor into Gamma World, or turn Gamma World into a humorous game, they just failed completely. They didn't understand that it wasn't a humorous game, it was an absurdist game. Um, And so anyway, I have strong opinions on Gamma World. Well, I I agree because I was listening to the designers talk about Gamma World for, when they designed for fourth edition. Right. And they were talking about how, you know, yuck, 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 and this and that, and this and that. And I just thought, you know, when I played in high school, it wasn't yuck, yuck, yuck. Right. We played it dead serious. But I thought, well, maybe, maybe we didn't get the joke. And I, so I played in a game with James Ward a few years ago. And uh, he ran a game of, uh, of, of, um, Whatever it was that he was running, I can't remember what it was. Metamorphos- it was Gamma World. Huh? Yeah. No, no, it was with cards. Oh. He developed it anyway, but it still was Gamma World, basically, but with cards. With, with a, a deck of cards. And then I realized the way he was running, it's like, no, it was never, there was no ha ha. Yeah, right. you got bunnies with guns, but those are bunnies with guns. They're not funny. They're bunnies with guns, and they will kill you, or they'll take your treasured weapons and turn them to rubber. Ha ha ha! That's that's the joke. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, uh, you mentioned paranoia earlier. Paranoia has the same problem. Uh, I think when paranoia is played moderately straight, uh, I think it's a fabulous game. And then because it's absurdist at its heart, but then when you slap in the yucks, it loses what it is. Right. As long as you're playing Brazil or. I think the modern version, the latest version, did a great job of like capitalist utopia paranoia. Um, it's, it's a fabulous, absurdist dystopian game. Um, but then when you add the, I don't know, Orc Street Blues or whatever it was, like it, it goes downhill fast. Yeah, I heard they had like three, didn't they have like three settings? 
you could play like dead serious or maybe more closer dead serious one that's wackier than one that's in the middle is that is that true uh that rings a bell right i don't think i've ever seen it played dead serious but i bet you could run a really awesome dead serious game with paranoia yeah especially when i play uh, oh go ahead uh, especially i think i'm not super up on where the game is right now but the last time i checked in with it um it was essentially uh, a Jennifer government game where you could run it that way. So there were mega corporations and you were working for Taco Bell. Uh, and you know, that was absolutely great. Like the inclusion of corporations into the game. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of funny. I just was reading where uh, it was at Applebee's, some sort of executive was writing how they could utilize the high gas prices to leverage to lower people's pay. Like, right. <laughs> Yeah, that's perfect, right? That's that's totally the sort of absurdist dystopian shit that you went out of a paranoia game. Well, what's also funny is I bought. Uh, did you get the Twilight Two Thousand game from um, Free League? I have not. The newest one, no. Oh, so they came out and reissued and new rules, and you know, of course, that all uh, the, the the center campaign in the original Twilight Two Thousand was Poland. Right. You know, and here it is. Not a year later, it gets released, and here we are dealing with the Ukraine, which is just bordering, you know, Poland with Russia invading. It's like this is just kind of weird, you know, where the gaming and the situation and how things can parallel, and right. maybe even some of the absurdist. You know, I think even with like, you know, a lot of the things we probably feared in the '80s didn't quite turn out the same, but but there is still a sense of corporations and lives and masses and yeah. what are we really here for and who's serving who it's it is kind of weird how uh, the stuff we encapsulate in games and cultures still actually is true <laughs> the specifics are different but the themes are universal right yeah so so do you run uh so do you have like a group you run games with or do you stuff online yeah so um i do about two in-person games a week uh i do i'm jealous <laughs> i do uh it's a lot of work i do a total homebrew game uh and then i do something called dungeon land which is like a bunch of mega dungeons within 10 miles of each other so it's all not homebrew uh and then i play maybe online twice a month um and then if, like i said if i'm at somebody's house and they're having a party and there's a game of Morkborg or Troika in the basement or Fiasco or whatever the new hotness is. <laughs> so yeah. which I've never played Troika. I see the pretty pictures. I don't really understand the mechanics. I think it's supposed to be pretty simple. Um, what What's your view of Troika? I've played it like twice now. It's I mean, it's all D&D, right? It's all basic D&D. They just remove some stuff and add some stuff. Um, it's just a little more gonzo and a little more, it's all setting based, right? More board, Troika, they all push the setting a little bit too. I'm not sure if gonzo is the right word. Um, maybe a little riffs like. Um, so yeah, it's game, right? Well, and I think too, the value of even people doing stuff I don't care for is I think the value is, is people pushing will the boundaries will oh, yeah. still have some interesting effects. Yeah, absolutely. Right. 
And I think that, I think the, you know, it's kind of interesting with Morkborg um, is the, is the, you know, it's kind of like, um, um, you know, form or function, you know, where, you know, the OSC is very much, you know, functional where Morkborg says, forget that it's all form, <laughs> all form, but, and it's kind of interesting how you can take, you have different takes where you can take, you know, where you can take it up an old school essentials book and it's very easy to find the rules. It's very clear. And then you get another group says, you know what? We're going to make it hard. <laughs> right. I think they've, they've done some really interesting things, particularly with Morkborg and layout and design and making the books probably commercially viable because of the art and so on um, and the style of the book. Um, but they tend to lack substance. Um, as you say, they're hard to reference and, it's been my experience that most of them have maybe one good idea in them and they don't know what else to do with the idea. Um, but Hey, they publish anyway. Um, which is great. Like I said, you got to publish. They could just spend a little bit more time doing something other than one shots. <laughs> but maybe so I've them. never, I've not played it. I don't have the book. I'm just going off of basic things I've heard, but, it does almost feel like it 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 is kind of lends itself to being not much of a campaign style game where it really because I think the world can end at any time, right? Yeah, I seem to recall something like that. Yeah, like especially if you roll double lots twice or something. I can't remember, but have you have you ever played like Shadow the Demon Lord? Oh yeah, right. So at least that one I've I've only pl I've never played a campaign, but my understanding is. You play a game, you play a session, and then the second session you're the second level, and you keep going yeah. up. And the, then the, the cataclysm, the cataclysmic event of the the demon lord is going to happen at the end, no matter what. Right. But but you may make it or you may not. But at least that seems to be more structured. Still playing to that kind of ghoulish, yeah. you know, maybe not ghoulish, but you know, what I'm trying to say, without. Uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering is if, if maybe Morkborg would have been better suited to kind of maybe have a little bit more structure along those lines, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it's perfect the way it is. You need some sort of arc if you're going to have some sort of sustain sustainability in the game. Uh, most D&D has some arc built in with XP, Shadow of the Demon Lord, you're leveling up once per session, whatever. Um, and some of the indie RPGs just don't have an arc, right? There's no reason to do this again next week. There's no, I, I hate to sound like a power gamer, but like, what's going on here, right? Like, why am I playing this again? What's in it for me? What's in it for my character? So, which then, of course, raises the specter of plot and the role of the designer or the DM in a plot-based game, so... Well, but if, if let's say the reward is uh, you eventually cool stuff, your character gets uh, a little bit cooler each time. Um, the older games, I mean, the XP leveling is much slower. Sure. And sometimes, like with OSC, I've heard the criticism is that, you know, you do go up a level, but maybe you don't really get anything cool. And then you have to go up the next level and you get a plus two. It's like, there seems to be, I guess the question is, I guess, you know, in a sense, too, that that XP dial also affects that that experience. What are, what are your thoughts on 
on that. Should people be getting some cool stuff more often, or is it something that should be a big event when it does happen? No, you shouldn't be getting cool stuff more often. I mean, you're already getting cool <laughs> stuff. So, you know, I'm an abashed power gamer. I love power game. Oh, I guess not min-maxing, but yeah, you know, give me the hand of Vecna. That's all I want in my life. <laughs> Every time I find a hand or not, I pluck something off and cut it off and see if it fits. But like this sort of min-max thing where I gained a level and, oh, you didn't give my character anything cool. Well, fuck you. Like, did something cool happen in the game? Did you kill everybody in town? And that's like something that's not following the Check, check. Right? So, you know, there are things that go on other than what's on your character sheet, man. And you can have fun and grow with the game without right. it being a plus one. Well, what I find interesting, I do like it where um, in some games where, like, we'll just pick, for instance, uh, like a, uh, we'll, we'll say Call of Cthulhu. Mm-hmm. Where maybe you know they do have a means of uh, of leveling up your skills, but let's just say every adventure you can add, you know, uh, maybe you could add plus, you know, you had ten percent to add to your skills or twenty percent to add, but you had to distribute it a certain way. Where every time you you do get something, but it may not be huge, but each time there's a little bit of something. Sure. You know, I'm wondering is to me, I find that's a little more fun as a GM to hand out to people. It's like, uh, people enjoy it. But of course, maybe they also enjoy leveling up to fifth level and getting fireball too. I mean, that's kind of a, a monumental thing too. Yeah. So, you know, I guess I understand what you're saying, but again, you know, I don't, I am not overly fond of mechanics. So, either mechanics as a player or mechanics as a DM. Um, I'm not overly fond of that. That's the, I don't see that as being a particularly appealing part of the game. So mechanics-based rewards are not going to be as appealing to me. So have you played Dungeon World? No, I think I reviewed something for it. That's the one with like, dungeons everywhere and like mobile dungeons or something is that right well basically it's the way it works it's D, uh, but using the power by the apocalypse engine mm-hmm. and so the players are the only ones that roll and six or less is a failure where a gm moves against the players uh seven through nine is a is a success with a complication sometimes you provide the the player a couple possible bad outcomes with good outcomes and 10 plus is success um, and it still has hit points. It still does damage, but it's a lot more um, a, more on the GM to to determine what sort of moves to make against the characters when things go wrong. But I just I was kind of curious what your the thought cube. Was. story gamer story gamer. <laughs> but there are there are rails though. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, I, I've mentioned several times the difference between a game and an activity, right? And something like that strikes me as an activity rather than a game. Um, I, I think D&D in particular, basic D&D, AD&D, um, second edition probably also, um, is a real game. Uh, there are rewards you can win. You win by not dying. You win mm-hmm. by leveling up right? Uh, There is an adversary that you are playing against. 
who is sometimes neutral and sometimes an adversary in your DM, things happen. You can die. There are penalties. You get yeah. turned into rubber or something. Well, the same thing in Heaven uh, Dungeon World. You can die. You can die right away, easy. If, if it's it's just uh, my point was, it seems to be less. Me- it has mechanics. So there's a combat for mechanics, but still uses a 2d6. Search your room has uh, 2d6 mechanics, but there's basically like six sheets and those cover everything your character will do. Right. They can all be rolled with a 2d6 and, and that resolution mechanic. I just was kind of curious because it still has rules, but I do also think it's not for me. I think it's a good system, but I don't know that it makes great for long-term play. <laughs> So maybe that's what's the difference between the activity and the, maybe that's the difference between the activity in a in a in a, in a game is how long you want to play it. Could be right, particularly when it comes. Well, speaking we're speaking specifically of role playing games, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I would say yes if that's if that's the definition. I would say yeah, but but anyway, it is it is interesting, and I think uh, it it kind of hits. I think a good in between where it allows for really interesting weird stuff to happen and it's mm-hmm. less on it is a lot more on the gm kind of making determination it's not determined at the table it's like okay you know you partially succeeded okay well these are your two options for your partial success and neither one are great for the player but they're still a partial success right you know like okay you you either fall and take damage or you fall and you uh, you destroy your potion of healing. <laughs> it's like, this, again, you don't this, die. <laughs> this is mm, yes. I'm sorry. I must be pedantic. This is narrative based play, right? And I'm not. Oh you know, yeah, I, I would say it is. I abandoned that 11 years ago as something. You I never look back. Going. Well, so what was I doing? I was playing look the original edition of Lacuna whatever spider and girl from blue city and it takes place in the dream world and like you can do anything like well if you can do anything then what the fuck is the point of the game like there are no challenges here the challenge is i rolled some dice and i rolled either high or low Eh, okay and so that kind of ruined the narrative based games to me i shouldn't say ruined but like you can have fun doing it just like you can have fun in a fiasco game, but it's a different sort of fun. So yeah, I agree, and I think, but I still think it comes down to, um, yeah, I think you're right, and I can't always put it. I can't really put a finger on always what makes things more appealing to play long term versus sure. short term, and I don't know what it is. I don't know what it triggers in the brain. I don't know what other thing is saying. Yeah, I, I want to see this character go to, you know direct number of sessions or or you can just say you know what we played two sessions i'm happy let's right. go on to something else let's go play fiasco now sure <laughs> yeah. right yeah yeah i think that's kind of interesting that i mean and there's also been a lot of evolutions but yeah i agree um and i think uh yeah i agree i'm just trying to think and i think that the games and I'm also going to wonder too is how much of that stuff's going to also interchange with each other, and things are going to start morphing in the future. I don't know what the future is going to hold. Oh sure, but it's going to be interesting to see what's happening with all these odds and ends as they fold back into more the we'll call mainstream style of play. Yeah, right. So we can certainly expect game systems and styles to merge, and some of the core concepts from some of these smaller games to merge into others. 
create new games. Some of it will get abandoned. Some of it will get absorbed into larger scale games. Maybe D&D will become a 2D6 system. I, you know, that happens, right? These things evolve. There's always something that comes along. And that's a good thing, right? I love seeing the freshness. And I love seeing um, how these indie designers in particular are morphing games for particular styles of play um, and how those game mechanics contribute to a style of play. I can still appreciate that. It's just not necessarily something I'm finding a fulfilling outlet. I've been, I find interesting is how BX has, has been utilized in many different directions. And from uh, like, I picked up Axe, uh, Venture Conquer King, mm-hmm. and boy, that's a lot of bolted on complexity, but there's still some really cool stuff for the characters. Um, but then you can also find stuff like uh, Worlds Without Number. They came out where they took like a ske- uh, a, a, a traveler skill system and bolted it off. It's like, well, that worked really nice. I mean, it's, right. it's kind of interesting too, where I think, you can even see within simple systems, people are able to adapt and to change and to take something and add freshness without yeah. really, without really, I think, uh, I don't say jeopardizing, but without really messing with the, I think the, the feel of the, of the mechanics. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I get a little worried when we start to mess with the core of the mechanics, um, wandering monsters, the purpose of wandering monsters, lights, door systems, and so on. But absolutely, I would agree with your core point that um, BX in particular, uh, because it's so light, um, lends itself really well to experimentation. Uh, You know, this used to happen all the time in the OSR world. Everybody had a house rule. Shields will be sundered, right? Uh, You can take a hit and, like, your shield can get destroyed and you can take a hit, right? Um, Everybody had house rules. And it's the same sort of thing, right? These sorts of bolt-on systems that create extra flavor so you know you imagine somebody sitting around in a game they took a critical hit they were like fuck i'm gonna die and the dm said look you know we will destroy your shield uh and i don't know break your arm or something but you don't die and they're like oh that's what i'm doing right and so <laughs> I'll, I'll pull and like it goes on well i think the thing is is you know for such a simple mechanic it really evokes imagery like like that you know what i mean it's like oh cool you know and we can all imagine like you know hold that shield and just shattering whether or not it makes any sense in real life whether it makes any sense whatever but in our minds everybody's like yeah that is cool it's a game it's supposed to be fun <laughs> fun if it's fun you should do it so. yeah but like acts i was i was surprised he threw in um he basically just threw in um the, the 3.5 and I'm, I'm forgetting it where you uh you hit somebody and you kill them, you get to hit somebody else after you kill them. Oh, uh, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, you get to do that once at a first level. You know, you kill somebody, you can just walk around somebody's next to them. It's like, well, that's kind of cool. That's a, a little bit of candy to give to somebody that can make sure. you feel a little special, you know, with your fighter. It's like, I think there's definitely opportunities. But, you know, going back, it's like, it really is the spirit of us when we were in, you know, going back to our, you know, talking about our teens where we just started doing these terrible things to perfectly workable games. <laughs> and that's the power of the, I mean, you know, there's that famous quote, whatever, attributed to Guy Gax and company that was like, we're not publishing adventures. Why would anyone ever want to buy an adventure? They want to create their own, obviously. But, 
you know, we want to create our own rules. We want to do these cool things with uh, the game system. Uh, it naturally evolves that way because you're having fun. Uh, and it absolutely should evolve that way. Well, I think that's another game, right? That's another game within a game. Like, what can we do with add mechanics to that? I mean, there's a certain amount of enjoyment of just tinkering. I mean, there's just like an infinite amount of tinkering you can do with these things. And, um, and uh, it may work for now. It's an interesting idea, uh, and I'm fully supportive of it, but also I don't think people understand maybe how original D&D, basic D&D actually works and how tight of a system it actually is. You can imagine every week for six years, every I shouldn't say every week, every day, for six hours a day, there were people in Gygax's basement playing D&D. And over that six years and 2,000 days or whatever it was, those systems evolved to be kind of the very tight system, interlocked system that they are today with slow movement and torches going out and morale and wandering monsters and all these other things that kind of feed off of each other. Um, and so I think experimentation is great. We should absolutely do it. And yet the core of the system is a very tight system. If you get rid of resources, if you don't have to worry about light anymore or food or encumbrance, that has some implications for other parts of the game. Um, it doesn't mean that encumbrance is a great system. I think everybody hates it, right? Nobody likes tracking light or mapping. And yet they all kind of work together to produce this thing of beauty. Um, and yet, boy, we all tinker with them because they suck. So, yeah. But I think also it's, it's, we're creating, people are by nature creative, I think. Uh, and, you know, it's just, I, I guess, so going back to Tier High School, so what, when you guys were, were doing what, what monstrosities did you do? What what things did you put together and you say, man, afterwards that was really a bad idea. I missed the first part of your question. Oh, when you when you're in high school, when you whenever you were like were bashing things, like is there anything that you did that was like a beautiful monstrosity that you look back and you say that was the one of the worst, but one of the most beautiful things? You know, I I don't recall anything to that degree. I, I do recall the very first time playing D&D &D, uh, with Holmes and having the rule book and believing that we had to roll for our armor class. And I rolled a 19, which means you had to roll a 19 or 20 to hit me. I was, my first character was, I was pleased as peach to have an armor class that high and not the four that my nephew had. <laughs> uh, so, you know, clearly some misunderstandings there at eight or nine years old, um, 10, whatever I was. Um, I don't remember any bolt on systems. I mean, there's the normal, oh, absolutely, I do remember some. Uh, but it was the normal kind of bolting on of using the AD&D books and the BX books in combination. Um, you know, you're using first edition characters and very light rules, which meant BX rules. And then, hey, we're going to take the critical hits table off of Rollmaster in <laughs> well, that was, that was intended that way yeah, absolutely it was intended that way <laughs> and we're going to use that right so I, I think just that's all I can recall it's been a while it's been it has been it has been but and that's why I never understood because the arms law claw law all that kind of stuff was supposed to go with D&D &D, but I don't know how in the world you're supposed to actually use it I, that's part I never really understood when I was I don't understand as an adult like 
it was, it was that's what it was supposed to do is replace you know the normal combat right sure and right originally the arms law claw law that was say you know what this just replaces what you're doing now but i don't know how you'd replace it in D. that's insane but it might be interesting to see what the first edition arms law clause law said the one that was meant to be a supplement rather than a version of role master and see how that integrated in right yeah because that was uh that's definitely a <laughs> that was the, you know, and, and I think the thing is, is and that's why I, I kind of wish I could go back. I mean, I think it seems like almost everybody I talk to that's older, um, I'll include you in being older too. So <laughs> even though I'm sure you're only 35, um, right. the, <laughs> the uh, is that, you know, we had infinite time, but now as we're older, we're like, we don't have time for this. We do not have time. We need to get to the point. We need to get to the combat. We need to get to the story. Uh, we can't just be spending hours playing around on tables. Right. We're not spending uh, four hours on character development here. Guys. <laughs> no. we're, we're playing D&D tonight. <laughs> we are. We are. Well, Bryce, I, I think we're probably hitting the, the time-space continuum. Sounds great. Okay. And uh, I just uh, want to say I, I really appreciate you coming on. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, it's it's a great time. I, and I, I say you, you've been a lot of fun. Uh, I, you know, because you and I have never obviously never conversed before, communicated before. And um, I generally found that pretty much most people you've, if who's into the role playing games, it, um, it's usually an easy conversation and uh, it's an interesting conversation. Right. So, hey, let me tell you about my character. Yes, please do. <laughs> I've been dying to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of funny, uh, but no. Uh, again, really, I appreciate. I really do appreciate the. Even I'm not to read through all the reviews, but man, I'll tell you what. It's I do go to that when I go to buy something. I'm like, do a search. It's like I think the last one was the um, Ilmire. Oh, Evils of Ilmire. Evils of Ilmire. I bought that thing and I realized it is like those noodles. It's in a tight package. And yeah. you throw it in the water, it goes, shh. Right? Yeah, that one's a great one. Uh, you're absolutely right in the, your characterization of it. And, you know, a lot of adventures, a lot of the really good adventures are like that, right? They are the very best. They're kind of jam-packed with lots of implications, right? This could be something more than it is and your brain wanders furiously trying to you know imagining how you might run it or what you might do with x y and z well i also find it's a lot of work to unpack too because there is no shortage you are not getting cheated you are right. not getting cheated <laughs> evils of ilmire right yeah absolutely <laughs> and so it's like i guess the thing that goes to say is is there been anything that surprised you recently i mean you've i would think you'd get kind of jaded after a while um is there yeah. anything you're like, wow, this is surprising? So, you know, I don't think anything specifically comes to mind, but I know that I'm surprised all the time with adventures that I get. Um, and I am delighted when that happens, when something shows up and I'm like, this is going to suck, but I have to pretend like it doesn't suck in order to be excited about it. And then it doesn't suck. It's actually marvelous. You know, there's a Morkborg adventure that just came out that, might be the first good Morkborg adventure uh, that I've read that I was pretty excited about. 
Um, uh, do you mind sharing it? Cause I had a friend who just did one. I don't know if it's that one or not. Let's troll King. Does that sound familiar? Uh, Oh, that's not the one he did. Okay. <laughs> oh, which one did he do? He did uh, his Kickstarter had to do. I didn't. I'm not a Morkborg person. It had to do with the. It had to do with a ship. It was basically a prison ship. Um, let me look. I'm and, thinking Treasures of the Troll King, but no, this one was a. I think is a ghost. Like a, it's like a ghost pirate or ghost prison ship. Hmm. And uh, you were, uh, it's kind of, he kind of set up as, I think, a Batman style adventure where it's kind of like you have your different villains and, uh, and prisoners and you're trying to, I guess, get through this prison ship and they had a, a bunch of little, little bibs and bobs to go with it. Um, I'll see if I can find that. Uh, yeah, you should send me the name of it. I'd be thrilled to review it. I think I know somebody that keeps her, he keeps his mind, you gave him a pretty decent, or he gave him an okay review once. I think he keeps his, I won't tell you who it is, but he keeps his stuff off the drive-thru <laughs> out of fear and trembling. Um, well, I'll be happy to go to itch. <laughs> yeah, you know, what's funny is, uh, oh, shoot. Um, it's, uh, let me think about this. Um I'll have to look at it. yeah so I, and I think the thing is is like uh, and I think anybody that comes through with it with, a, with an okay review they feel like it's a relief I mean it's it's a it's I think your reviews are so good but they're so you know honest but somebody gets like a it was okay that's like it's kind of it's like going to board game geek and high reviews are like seven if you're a seven you are you've you've done pretty good right <laughs> Yeah, same thing, right? I was in a restaurant once uh, with an ex-wife now, and uh, the waiter came by and said, how was your food, Bryce? And I said, as expected. And he was like, oh, no, what was wrong? I was like, no, nothing's My ex was like, no, you don't understand. Nothing's wrong. He expected this to be good. It was as he expected. He is fine. <laughs> That's funny. Let me, let me look it up real quick. Uh, Mark Borg. It, so I guess the question is, do you, do you know people avoiding you or as far as reviews or do, do you guess do people send you, how do you, how do you find your, how do you find your stuff? Do people submit? Do so you people, just stalk them or what? So people will send me things uh, and I don't, I don't accept submissions, but I might go buy it after they send it to me uh, if I'm going to review it. Um I troll the new releases on drive through. I watch what some of the other reviewers are doing. Bones of Contention, Prince of Nothing, uh, uh, Beyond Formal Halt. Uh, I watch what they're reviewing. Uh, I dig through the discords and the online forums all to look for adventures that are coming out. And in particular, adventures that are not hitting drive through. It's relatively easy to look at drive through and see what the new releases are. But sometimes some of the more interesting things are not on drive-thru. And they're either published independently on the designer's own website or they're going through itch. Maybe it's a hardcover only on Lulu. Um, Hyquacious Vaults, I think, was a Lulu-only thing. And it was absolutely fabulous, right? But you had to know that knights and knaves were doing it in order to understand what was going on. That's hard because, I mean... It is hard. I mean, they each 
different platforms, what people have done, probably different time periods, right? You know, because now in where things wind up, and I know like drive through, if you ever try and set it up for a print on demand, it's hard. There's there, if you go to print something through like Mixum, it's pretty mm-hmm. easy, but you do drive through, it's tough to set up in that format. And sure. I imagine like Lulu's probably easier. And so people probably go to certain ones because they were done earlier or easier to do. But then again, it's like there's no visibility because places like Itch and places like um, Lulu, they don't really they don't really bring drive people towards your product. Right. Yeah. It it's seven aboard the shackles with the number seven as a seven. Seven aboard the shackle. And it's bite-sized gaming is one word is the company. Okay. So it's a semi-randomly generated prison crawl adventure is the way it's. Well, it is on the radar now. As soon as I finish reviewing these contest entries, which will never end, it'll be the next one up. So you did it. Okay. I guess that's the other thing. I probably was, was stopping early. So you also have a forum and I didn't really peek around a whole lot. So you've got a forum for adventures. Uh, writing right yeah so uh attached to the blog i have a link to the adventure design forum uh i found that there wasn't really any place to discuss adventure design in the way that i wanted to talk about it so of course i created my own uh but also it was supposed to be a mechanism to keep me beholden to others while i write my book right so the whole idea was i was going to post chapters of the book there and people were going to bitch at me if I wasn't posting chapters of the book. Uh, But it kind of morphed into its own community. Again, still based around adventure design, which is great. Um, So yeah, absolutely. Uh, There's a forum there. You can find the draft of the book if you look hard enough. So what is the book? It's a book on adventure design, of course. Oh, well, well, that's what I assumed. Because I noticed on your on your blog site you have review standards as well, mm-hmm. and you, some of these are have links and some of these don't. And I thought, you know what, these are just general good advice. I mean, they're just a bunch of bullet points. A whole big, it's sure. just a just a, a whole bunch of bullet points. But but still, it's worth a person at times person's time to go through this. Right. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, one of the things, nobody's born with the knowledge of how to write one of these adventures. At best, you're copying what somebody else did and maybe thinking about it. Um, and everybody keeps making the same mistakes. You know, we, we say, hey, you should pay attention and kind of figure out how to write an adventure. But, like, nobody tells you what to do. And you got to go to a thousand different places to figure out what a good adventure actually is. And I harp about this shit all the time. I was like, I'll write it down, right? But... Uh, my perfectionism is such that I'm still writing it now, five years later. So, so I guess the question is the so is the um, so is the point of the book like that? Is it like a is it kind of like something that takes you through like step by step, or is it something that kind of takes you like in some sort of like um, um, like a, not eagle, but the circle that kind of keeps going on itself to i mean like how how's that tool supposed to work is it supposed to like guide through each step is it supposed to provide guidelines is it uh so i don't believe in learning in that way um 
I believe that you need to understand the concepts, right? So I go through the various concepts, um, broken down into three main categories, a couple of extra, and then go through important points in those concepts so that ideally someone isn't following a pattern but is understanding what ease of use actually means for an adventure. Um, so as they are creating their own adventure, they will look at it and say, this is easy to use, or this is not easy to use. This thing I want to do is not as easy to use as I think it should be. Um, more than, hey, follow these steps, here's a checklist. Right. But I think, too, it's like, uh, you know, some of these things, too, you know, like, uh, just looking through your list, like, intelligent creatures will call for, call their buddies for help. Right. It's probably good to kind of, like, once you've read it, it's like, okay. <laughs> well, so, you know, the book has the format of the book is that um, we put that into the appropriate context for its topic. So in this case, it's probably interactivity. You want an interactive adventure and an intelligent adversary should be responding through an order of battle. What does that mean? So, you know, I'll write four or five paragraphs on what that means to try to get the core concept across. And then I'll do two or three examples uh, either fake examples or examples pulled from things I've reviewed that show maybe some bad examples of this and some good examples. Of <laughs> li- somebody's going to live in infamy. <laughs> you know, that's the, the way the cookie crumbles. <laughs> uh, maybe two or three pointers to online articles on blogs or forums yeah. are like follow-up readings, right? So we're going into each point extremely in-depth. Uh, to try to get the concept around. What does it mean? It it means more than just calling for backup, right? And so we want to get that concept across to people. Because maybe it doesn't apply just to intelligent enemies. Maybe it applies to other areas as well. Well, I think the thing is it needs to be logically. I mean, there's a logic to if something's here and something's happening. I mean, not thinking of this as just being a point to point to point. It's like, what is going on in the environment because it's an environment that you're in well and so then we get into other issues right so you're absolutely right so there must be this sort of plausible deniability it has to be um it has to keep your attention and you can't think this is fake but also we're not going for realism here right realism is the realm of napoleonic war gamers and that's <laughs> right you need enough so that people are like yep that's the way it, that's what's going on and you don't need more than that Right. And I, you know, I think too, it's like, cause I've written um, some stuff and then now and people would remark, I'm like, yeah, that you got some valid points, but I think it's hard sometimes, even if you come up with your own games, just even not written that you can, um, you, you can fall into some tropes mm-hmm. unknowingly. Like you think you're being clever, but then they figure out the mystery right away. Like it's, Sure. You're like, well, how did they do that? Well, like, good night. Okay, did it because I just, it, it made it obvious. <laughs> it's like, what I the, thought it, it's interesting for me because I'm very good at picking stuff up in movies, but when I try and do it myself, it's like, I'm, 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 I'm being too obvious. So one of the things I like to do when I'm feeling in a shitty mood in a like a con game or a store game. When we arrive at the village and they say the kid's gone missing, like 
tell me about the evil one, he who will not be named, the <laughs> villager, you know, the evil cult that you had here 30 years ago. What's up with that? <laughs> There's always a trope involved. Uh, and tropes are great. I love tropes. I love the classic stuff. They're great when they're well done and they're shitty when people don't try it. Well, I prefer, which I prefer, because I think what's dumb is I find like the king has sent you to go investigate such, like, of all the people in the kingdom, <laughs> why these, instead, why don't you just say, here's some possible ideas. You guys just figure out why you're here. You figure out why it's emotionally important for you to be here for your characters. I got a and great then, idea. If the king doesn't have the troops to go take care of this problem himself, then that means that the town is unguarded. Let's take the fucking thing over. Yeah. <laughs> it's now my fiefdom. Fuck you. Well, I remember playing the descent to Avernus. Um, and I just, the whole time I'm thinking, like, what is my motivation to be doing this? Each step of the way was like, there is, like, there's no motivation. There's nothing. These people I'm with, I don't, I don't, I don't, you like, they're bad people. Why am I with these people? They're the police, but not the police. But, but you're the police. And then you go down and you, you can either, you rescue the people, but it really doesn't matter whether you take them back safe or it's like, right. I am just confused. What, why am I even here? Like, there was nothing I could even mentally hook my character into. You know, I right. I can go for a lot of stuff. I at least need to have one hook. Yeah, right. So to a certain extent, it's up to the players to like find their own motivation for the character. But also, like you got to throw them a bone, man. Right? They've yeah. got something to work with, and it, you know, they fall back to the same things. Either you're a hero and a do-gooder, or you got hired to do it. And like both of those are kind of boring. Um, but also, I have seen them both very well implemented, right, in a way that makes sense. And so you got to do just enough. You got to give the just as I say frequently. You got to give the DM enough to work with as a designer. As the designer, you got to give the player enough that they can then motivate their character, right? And you can't just say it's up to you. Yeah, right, sure exactly. Is, but <laughs> ultimately, it is right. You can always be a stinker, but like. Give them a little bit, man. Throw them a bone. In some games, I think uh, they they kind of try and and try and create some um, in during like session zero. Um, I think like the the I think like the power by the apocalypse or the dungeon world. Like you can write like it's kind of like fill in the blank, but it's kind of more prompts where it's like pick a character to put in this blank. You know, okay, this person owes me a favor, and this person, you know, those things can. You know, if you could tie that in with an adventure, just a little something it doesn't have to be major, but it's just like, you know, why can't you say, you know what, you know, one of you has a such and such, and one of you, and and just give the players a little bit of opportunity to be creative rather than just shoehorn. But and right. then they'll have, yeah, it's just I don't understand that. Yeah, I'm a big so I'm both a big believer and not a big believer in character backgrounds, right? I think you should totally have one. But also, I think you should create it on the fly. When it comes, when you find a boat, suddenly, yeah, you know, my dude was a fisherman for 12 years. I know how to row the boat, right? That's true now. Uh, so I'm a big fan of this sort of background through play. Um, but also, like, again, 
this requires two people or requires two parties, the DM and the player. Like you got to give the DM something to work with. You can't just be like, I don't want to go on this adventure. Well then stay in your fucking house. Roll up a new dude that doesn't want to go on the adventure. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's, that's definitely, yeah. Somebody be injured. And I think too, sometimes we realize, and I think less of convention games, it's convention games. You're like, okay, you can't go too crazy, but but it seems to me that when you get like a Wizard of the Coast who's, who has, oh. you know, all these funds and I'm looking at these adventures and like these are, these are terrible, terribly written adventures. These are terrible. Absolutely. Like, and I don't understand it. I don't understand. Oh, I'll tell you. Uh, you bought the adventure, right? So they made money? Yeah. Yeah. So now you understand. <laughs> right? Like, they don't have to put out anything good. They're going to write an adventure. It's going to come out everybody's gonna buy it like why are they putting extra like if it if it is a good adventure like hey that's great right but that's not their goal the hasbro's goal is increasing my retirement account uh portfolio that's what their goal is right and like i said if a good adventure happens to pop out if a good game happens to pop out i'm sure they're thrilled but that's not it the goal is to sell you something they got the brand they're selling something yeah, it's the Fast and Furious, right? It's like, it's, <laughs> right? It's, but as you look at it, right, and you see all this great indie work, and you're like, man, why can't they write something good? It's frustrating. Like, they've got all this money. They can hire a real editor that does something besides copy edit. They could get a content editor that can provide actual feedback to the adventure, what's good, what's not. Somebody there could figure out how to make this good, but they don't need to, so they don't. When I have to go out on the internet and find a large OneNote file that actually lines everything out of the adventure of how it's supposed to work, right. made sense of it. I mean, like, why? It, but the thing is, I find out of d and I found with, even with, like, this the Conan 2D20, it's, and some of these others, like, there is so much wasted text on nonsense I yeah. need like an outline. Just give me right. something. Give me a map that's actually useful. Right. Help me understand how this adventure is supposed to flow. Help me understand who the major characters are. Like maybe it doesn't actually flow that way in play, but at least let me, the DM, know like what to expect as I'm making my way through this 9,000 page adventure. Right. Why am I it, having to outline this adventure? <laughs> right. You get your highlighter, you get your notepad, you start making. It's it's absolutely absurd, right? Uh, they are, I think, some of the worst adventures written are official publisher adventures. Um, and Why is it? Because I think it's true everywhere, not just for... for... Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because they're making money. Because like I, I, So I bought like a Traveler, uh, The Great Rift, and they have this really neat, cool campaign. And a large amount of the page count went to a planet that you only spend a very short amount of time there. And the rest of the place, they hardly touch. So the guy that was writing it was being paid per word, <laughs> right? And he had one great idea. He wrote that up. He patted it out. He got paid his three cents a word. So he made his $20, however little they were paying him. The publisher had what they needed, which was a product to ship out this month because they had a deadline and the game store or distributor needed something. So boom, out it comes. 
it's depressing when you think about the business side of it, which is why like the indie scene I think is so great. And in fact, I think I reserve my greatest criticism for people who appear to be publishing for profit. So if it looks like you're publishing on a routine basis, like every month or every week, like, man, you're not doing this because you did the best you could, you did this because you wanted an extra 20 bucks for beer money. Like you're, this is not cool. This is essentially you've turned into one of the major publishers right now. And I think if you are a major publisher or you are a publisher, expectations are higher than if you're just one guy. If you're one guy doing the writing, doing the editing, doing the artwork, doing the design, doing all of this, like I'm going to cut you a little bit of slack, right? Like right. I'm not going to go on the art super hard, the layout, whatever. But you show up as Wizards of the Coast with a bajillion dollar Hasbro budget, it's better be a fucking good adventure. And inevitably, it's not. Inevitably, it is worse. It is worse. Ah, oh, it's, it's terribly <laughs> bittering, right? To see this well, I think because we see what they could do, right? Mm-hmm. You know I mean, in our mind's eye, we're like, with that budget. Right. And But it does appear that these things are rushed. And I think that's probably the issue is there, I don't know why they're rushed, but they're, yeah. And I, because I think the thing is if they were really good adventures, um, you'd say, you know what, I don't play 5e, but man, this is may, this would be a great port over to whatever. And you'd be like absolutely. happy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So I think what happens is they give the writer a deadline. The writer delivers on the deadline. They don't deliver early. What, whatever the writer delivers is garbage, but they have to take it. Because they can't go back and say, hey, man, you wrote garbage, you need to rework this. Because they're already at the deadline. The thing has to go to layout the next week, right? Um, There's no time. I think that's why they look rushed. It's really, really depressing, right? And then also, uh, we all know, uh, most adventures are read. They're never played. So they write these things to appeal to a crowd that it's just going to read the adventure, right? That's why yes. you get all the flowery text. That's why you get all this backstory. That's why you get this planet that is fully detailed because somewhere somebody's masturbating over it because they're not playing the fucking thing. They're just <laughs> reading it and dreaming about things. It's an, it's like a fantasy travelogue. Uh, and that's what most of these are, fantasy travelogues, fantasy histories. It's not an adventure. Well, because I went to look through some, this is a, same but different, but I just wanted to do some stuff with some creatures and I went to read some stuff of some bestiaries to to get some ideas. Actually, the write-ups in uh, some of the D&D, like Mordecanans or whatever. And I thought, oh, there should be some really cool stuff that I could kind of port over to something else. And why they would spend like four pages writing about whatever species or whatever, when you distill it down to like what is very evocative or what's core, it's like there's just a lot of writing without much there. It's like Absolutely. A lot of writing without much there. I think that describes everything every major publisher has ever done. Yeah, because it's like, wow, it looks like you spent a lot of time talking about, you know, you know, this particular history and this, this thing. But it's like, as a GM, what have I really learned? Yeah, there's nothing there to riff on. There's nothing there to use. Uh, you know, I... It's the same with the BCRs, the DMAs, but you know I refer to it as gameable content in my reviews. 
what's the amount of gameable content versus the amount of padding and fluff that is never going to come up. And you want very high gameable content. It doesn't have to be all gameable, right? I understand a little bit of fluff here and there, but like most of it needs to be gameable. Like, I don't care what the history is unless it was relevant. Like, why did you write six pages of history if none of it's relevant to this adventure? Right. The, the history should explain why it's important at this moment. Right. Absolutely. And you know, it's the same with the B-series. It's the same with uh, setting guides. Like, hey, man, you're constantly, like, nobody cares that his eyes are black unless they're jet black and he's got horns and, like, speaks in a demonic way. Right. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It is. It is. And I think, though, that, you know, there's people. So I kind of made a mention to a person. I, I One thing that kind of revolutionized me, there's a project I was working on. And then I, I decided to make it like an OSC, but I thought rather than just slap OSC on it, I would actually, I better read some OSC stuff. And I went through the uh, incandescent grottos. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know that it's a silver bullet, but my goodness, that is a fun way to run an adventure, that yeah. format. Yeah, it's a great format. I love that format. They do and great- I, I mentioned to a friend about this, and then he was on a podcast, and he talked about you know he, about his writing, and, and I mentioned that, and they're like, oh, no, you know, he, he has a company, his pace setter, and uh, he says they, they he, he would not make his stuff more terse because people want to read it right there oh, i know who pace sitter is I, I reviewed a bunch of pace sitter stuff bill Barsh. bill yeah. Barsh. um yeah absolutely right and so there you go um people want to read it so, so that's his audience but that's his audience his audience is people want to read this they're not going to necessarily run it but they're going to read it and that's how he's making his money so there's a perfect example right there right um and you see Gavin's stuff with his formatting that he's doing is clearly just made to be run at the table. Two completely different areas. Both of them, one of them is an adventure. That's Gavin's. The other one is not an adventure. Bill's stuff is not an adventure. It looks like an adventure. He calls it an adventure, but it's a fantasy location. It's a work of fiction that describes a fantasy location. That was a hot take. I wasn't expecting it. Sorry, Bill, if you're listening. <laughs> well, yeah, like I've reviewed a bunch of Bill's stuff. Some of Bill's stuff is good. Like, okay. There, there, there are degrees of this, right? I, I'm yeah. a little forceful here on Bill in particular. <laughs> um, like Bill's making money, right? It's okay. That's chill. I wish. But, but the thing, he's got an audience. And I think it's the thing is he's got an audience and that's what they want. But those type of people are not going to be happy with Gavin Norman stuff. Right. So is it an adventure? Are they both adventures? It doesn't really matter. It's I think it's just oh, that it does when you go buy them. Well, it, it does. I agree. The store and you see two things and they're both labeled adventure. <laughs> and one of them is made to run at the table and the other one's made to read. Like my the core thesis of Ten Foot Pole is that one of these is an adventure and one of these isn't an adventure. I agree with you. <laughs> I don't know if I'd call it adventure, not adventure, but I would say if I'm gonna run one it's going to be the Gavin Norman over the one where I have to go through all this text and right. Yeah. <laughs> so how far can we drift this? 
So if I have a shoebox and I shit in this shoebox and I label it an adventure, are you willing to pay ten dollars for it? <laughs> I guess not. I've got a market. Like I'll I'll put it in Barnes and Noble under the aisle, whatever that Warhammer clone is. Uh, perfect, right? So I so I push it and I use that example a lot. I feel some of this is disingenuous labeling and disingenuous marketing. Um, I understand it has to be labeled an adventure because if it's not being labeled an adventure, people won't buy it, right? And yet, maybe it's just a really bad adventure, right? So maybe we, we yeah. allow right? It's not an adventure that's good. Well, now it's being listed right up next to Gavin's, right? Yeah, I agree as far as that goes. So it's market. So there's a market saturation, right? And you, you know, I used to say this, right? You've had a shitty day at work today. Your boss yelled at you. You fucked up. You came home in traffic. There was a traffic jam. You're hungry. Your kids are yelling. Your wife's gone. You got people coming over in 20 minutes for a game and you got shit. You need to buy an adventure. You go looking for adventures. You see two of them. Are, are they actually adventures or are they not adventures? Right. Yeah, and I, and I understand, because it goes back to even Pathfinder. I, I think a lot of their adventures were written knowing that people were never going to run them, uh, right. that, that most, the vast majority were people going to read them. I think that's the first, um, I think Pathfinder is the first time somebody from the publisher actually admitted it, or uh, their statement was quoted in popular forums as, hey, you know, we know that people aren't going to read these, aren't going to run these, so we write them for people who are going to read them. Like, that's fucking great. It's not an adventure anymore. Like, you have taken a hammer and said, like, you can't actually use it as a hammer anymore. Like, it looks like a piece of spaghetti. Like, theoretically, you could use it as a hammer, I guess, but mm, like, we're still making bank, though, because we're selling a fuck ton of them. <laughs> and I think that, I think what's and I think that's what's, I think that's what's been my frustration, is that there's on one hand, I get so dissatisfied with published modules, mm-hmm. but on the other hand, whenever I try and run games, they they definitely um, often don't have the the breadth that they could if they. Oh sure. And and so the the thing is, you're like, I want I want to run a module, an adventure that's somebody else has written, but I. Because I'm not necessarily as good as they are for these things. But then when you go to run it, you can't. And so then you're stuck between, you know, running <laughs> the stuff that you feel is not really quite as great versus one that you're just running confused and trying to figure out how to handle the situation. Do I have the website for you, sir? All righty. There is a popular blogger, kind of popular blogger, who runs a curation website for old school adventures. You know what? You know, I'm glad finally, after all these years, somebody came up with that. <laughs> right. But I, I tend to also run. Um, I tend to uh, run like lots of different games. So. Uh, oh, sure. but yes. <laughs> uh, well, then you, sir, are in a depressing state of affairs because adventures for other games are a thousand times worse than they are for D and D. Yeah, you're right. You um, know, because like, like you know, I look at like the traveler adventures of the early ones. Like those are terrible. <laughs> right. 
And I don't uh, know if it's why, but I think D and D had a dungeon, so it's at least you had something. But here it's like, well, murder critics. It's like I'm not sure I was supposed to do with this. I have already stated I don't know how to run science fiction because of their openness, right? The extreme sandbox nature of it. So I understand it's a little harder, but absolutely, it has been my experience that non-fantasy you're really struggling to find adventures that are decent in any way, shape, or form. Um, It's really, you know, I I think I said once that Call of Cthulhu adventures were terrible. Like, everybody goes apeshit over Massacre with Darlahotep. It's a fucking nightmare to run. Like, it's not written to run. Like, okay, it's a great adventure. It's designed well. It's got an interesting plot. But man you're going to spend your lifetime reading the thing and highlighting it and taking notes in order to run it. That's not what I want to do. I want to drink some beer and play a game tonight. I think that's why small adventures work where larger ones like the D and D ones don't, I think is also because if, if you, if you pick, um, you know, a small adventure, it's like whatever the outcome is, whatever the outcome is. But here with larger ones, you have multiple scenarios where there's expectations that people have to follow a certain path and do certain things. And that's, I think, makes it much more of a railroad. Specifically with adventure paths, I would agree with you, right? Chapter two has to be chapter two and chapter three has to be chapter three and Tiamat has to be alive in chapter 20 so that she can show up and be the big bad guy because that's the name of the adventure path. Um, But also, paradoxically, I find that very small adventures um, generally are not good because they're not given enough room to breathe. There's some middle ground where you need a large enough environment to adventure in to provide room for the players and their characters to leverage the environment. And a very small adventure scope I don't know. Layer dungeons are very popular. Nine room dungeons, ten room dungeons, these sorts of things tend to be so small that there's not enough room in the environment to maneuver around and leverage it in this kind of a sandboxy, freeform play manner. You need something a little bit larger. But again, you're right. When you move to these larger scopes, suddenly you need a summary. Suddenly you need an outline. You need things that you don't need in these smaller adventure scopes. Uh, and then when you move on to adventure paths, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how you do that and write one that's not a railroad but gets you from A to B. Right, because, I mean, especially when you're dealing with characters with motivations, I mean, it's, you know, maybe certain motivations, like, you know, your table, you know what motivates them. You know, you may have certain characters or players, you know, what will really motivate them, but to write an adventure that will keep people on the same path, motivationally speaking, because more likely than not, they're going to get distracted by something else and want to go sure. do something else. It's like, right. it's like, and, and so I think it's, it's, you, you, it's weird. I think, I think it comes down to it's, those have to be played like a con game, like a convention game, and that you have to say, you know what? I don't care about anything else. I'm just going to follow the, the breadcrumbs. I'm, we're just all going to agree to follow the breadcrumbs. Okay. You know, and I say that sometimes, like, hey, you want to play D&D tonight? If you do, then you better go down in the fucking basement, man. <laughs> Otherwise, we're not playing D&D tonight, right? And so, you know, there's a certain amount of that that's always built into every game. 
but it's how much does the adventure and the DM and the designer have to push that, right? Ideally, you want an adventure, as you state, where it seems natural for your character to want to go down in the basement rather than having to rely on, look, man, you want to play tonight or do you not want to play? Like, I can play. Yeah. Right? But maybe, like, maybe, you know, like, maybe the idea is maybe there's a group of, of there's a, a, um, a, uh, we're looking for um let's say a group um um, the words escape me it's been a long day but there's say there's a um oh what's i'm looking for it's it's a particular group that's got certain affiliation like maybe the police force or a gang but maybe the idea is maybe you're going to approach it a different way maybe instead of fighting them you're going to try and bribing them maybe you're going to take on the leader and try and become king of them and utilize your influence through the city that i mean there's so many ways that you can still play the game and not try and derail, but you can, but it doesn't allow for, you know, for, you know, those types of adventures don't allow for that. I mean, to, to be able to continue on because. It's actually interesting in fifth edition, at some point, the adventurers league had factions that you belonged to. And so they had this idea that I don't know, you were part of the Druid nature boy faction. And they would like you would get a separate mission briefing on why they want you to go do this thing, right? And the Lord's Alliance, which was basically the government, right, had a different reason for you. And so they kind of had the right idea in that look, different people are going to do these things for different reasons. They were all terribly implemented. Um, but they kind of were on the right path of hey, you know, you can spend in a 200 page book. You can afford one page to give a bunch of kind of motivational things for different types of players. Yeah. Right. Well, what I found is they they had so I was never a um, Forgotten Realms person, and I know in Fifth Edition that was kind of the that is the default setting. Right. And then they would have in the adventure they have people from different factions, but I don't know what they meant. I had no clue. <laughs> No clue what that even meant for the characters. I had no clue. And then they throw these elements in acting like they're adding some sort of uh, social complexity where all they did is so confusion. It's like, I don't know. Like, so, so what? Right, exactly. Uh, they were all terribly implemented. Like I said, the idea was a good one, right? So the Lord's Alliance was essentially the government. It was the existing power structure, right? Whoever, whether they were the good guys or the bad guys, it was the city council and the mayor and the baron or whatever right and he wanted he had some motivation even it was like look man i don't care if the town burns down but somebody's paying taxes next year right so as long as taxes come in i don't care and you know you got the nature people but like they were written as like these monolithic factions instead you know with power structures and things instead of hey you know you're druid like maybe the animals are sick or something like that's very simplistic but something along those lines right there wasn't a lot to them uh and they were not presented naturally instead they were presented very rigidly and maybe still are i don't know if they still do that yeah i don't know if they do that or or not and i agree because i guess the thing is you're right because they are monolithic i guess they're supposed to be across the forgotten realm i don't know and and once a person's a member it's kind of like I don't know. But you're right. It doesn't. So the other druids know who you are. 
like what's going on man right well you know if you think about it, it kind of goes back to in some ways it kind of, like you had argorn in the in the was the dunedain with the sure. lord of the rings you know it's like there are people they knew who they were there's a certain group it was that's cool but right this other stuff it's like i don't even know really what it is they're doing like why does that even really matter i guess you get right. some sort of affiliation i guess why why are they joining the shriners i don't know because the little bicycles i don't know we all care about nature like like <laughs> maybe we can try uh and it, so that gets to something that pisses me off particularly in folks which is like people not trying like y'all care about nature don't do it because you care about nature like you're not trying man like it's like somebody hiring you to do it. There's no nuance there. There's nothing interesting there. You got. Right, it should be a complication. Right. Yeah. You need. You need to take that farmer down. He's story. he's destroying trees. Fucking perfect, right? Like, dude is like problematic with his irrigation ditches. He's yeah. up these things to keep his fertilizer from running into the creek. The local government passed it two weeks ago. He hasn't done it yet. Like, go fuck him up. Yeah. See, and that's what's kind of interesting, and that's where I think some games systems do it kind of a somewhat good job. But the idea is that, you know, is that characters having certain belief systems in a way that can create complications in sure. the game and that they willingly, not, not be forced to, but they willingly embrace that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's kind of a fun thing. I've, some games kind of do that pretty well. Some games don't really have a way of doing that. Some people just do it naturally i mean as far as the narrative but uh sure. that's the fun stuff right yeah well and like we were talking about demon lord right doesn't demon lord do that i don't know i've only played a, a convention game and and then it was pretty it was pretty i don't think i got the shadows of the demon lord experience i just got we're fighting in a in a uh, <laughs> we're just fighting a horde of skeletons attack that's why we're hiding in a in a uh, in one of those garbage games um Demon, I get Demon Lord confused with another game that was out at the same time that was horror based. It was also D and D ish. Maybe Demon Lord was the horror game, and I'm thinking of a different one. I don't know. Whatever. Demon Lord must have been the horror game. There was another one that was more 4E focused. Uh, it doesn't matter, right? But they both same thing, right? They both had these kind of motivational things, and you can see some of that in Five E, where you're a hero, you're a farm boy, like okay, but that's kind of boring. Like, let's add some things, let's riff off of some shit. Yeah, and I think the thing is, is if you can set, you know, if maybe everybody has to pick a side, and maybe if you don't pick a side, you, you a faction, that's fine too. But everything has uh, somehow in the adventure would have some sort of bonus yeah. and also a complication. Yeah, absolutely, right? Yeah, go yeah. murder the farmer. Like, really, you want me to murder the farmer because he's not fertilizing his fields correctly? That seems extreme. Yeah, I absolutely want you to do that. He's killing the fish. Fish have taste too. And the erosion. This why erosion you, continues like this. <laughs> why do you believe that a human life is more valuable than a fish? Uh, how many more fish must die? Right? 
what 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 effect this will have in a, in, in ten thousand years, right? We're thinking about the long term, not the short term. <laughs> and that's the perfect sort of shit to throw into the game. It's a little absurd, right? So yeah. Well, I think it goes back to even clerics. Like that is like to me could be the most interesting class, but it's turned into the most like boring class. I mean, you're just a magic user. Like, why does it really mean anything to be a cleric of whatever? I mean. Yeah, right. There well, should be something that goes along with it. Positive it should be negative. It's like, okay, you can't just be wandering around just doing whatever you want, just like everybody else is doing. Right. And so now I'll say something slightly problematic. I don't understand the whole evil thing that the game has morphed into. Like, there is a god of evil. He casts spells. His goal is to destroy the sun. For the purposes of this conversation, let's call the guy that wants to destroy the sun evil. <laughs> let's call his followers that are supporting that and attempting to bring that about, let's call them evil also. <laughs> right? Like, mm, are they really evil? Well, there is a god of evil. It is palpable. He is the incarnation of evil. I think if somebody needs stabbed, it's the incarnation of evil. <laughs> anyway. It's that simple. I'm playing a different game, though, right? So <laughs> there's a there's a modernist thing that is going on in D and D, and maybe has been for a few years now, where um, people bring modern sensibilities into the game. Um, which is fine. It's a different kind of genre, right? And that gets to me not understanding their game and them not understanding my game. Like, no, well, there's evil. Like, I think I think the eight. I think the to me the uh, was it the eight or nine, whatever it is, thing of alignment that came out with Advanced D&D, I think is just messed up. I really like the law neutral chaos, sure. and maybe law is bad too, <laughs> right? And so. Um, <laughs> Was it Lamentations of the Flame Princess did that, right? They were like, oh, did hey, they? like almost everybody's neutral. Like if you're evil, like we're talking demon evil. And if you're good or lawful or whatever they call it, like you are angelic good. And like, that's no fun. Cause like you spit once in a no spitting zone, like time for you to get fucked up. Like they're both extremist positions. Well, to me, what law would be, it's going back to Elric. Yeah. You know, they are just, it's not good. It is just about order and organization, and it's a proposition to chaos. And, you know, people don't really matter. It's right. not good. It's just, it is order versus chaos. And and it could, and to me, that, that sort of manifestation is like, you know, where you could have a, you know, you know, having somebody that could be evil, but they maintain order and structure in society, they're lawful. You know, right. and, and to and to try and define good and evil, it's like like chaotic good makes no sense to me because if an elf is chaotic good, how can they have any sort of of uh, social structure that is a hierarchy? We've got a princess. Well, okay, it's like, are you chaotic? Shouldn't everybody just be kind of just doing their own thing and just yeah? It's a hereditary get, position from when all elves were lawful. <laughs> yeah, but it's just like, it's like, what is chaotic? It, 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 we start mashing it up, and I think it's where, you know, even good and evil, it's like, they can get kind of messy, too. Sure, right? 
you know, and I think it's, it's hard, but, but we all like things that we can kind of, I guess, pigeonhole and be able to play to. Right. Uh, so I, it's I easier, right. So the human brain naturally categorizes things. You want to make sense of the world. That's how you do it. In the real world, we kind of reject that, right? And we say, no, like my predisposition is to feel this way, but like, that's not right. Uh, <laughs> old people are not terrible. Maybe. But, <laughs> but this is a game world, right? Maybe there is a God of evil. Maybe he doesn't view his followers with evilness. And maybe that's all you need to know. Well, I think that's another thing that's to me is interesting. And I, I would like to maybe read, but the idea is like evil cults. Oh, like yeah. What, what, what is the motivation, you know, to join a cult that really is just, I mean, we could look at real world religions and we can, you know, point and say, well, but at least every religion, if you say, well, I think these people are doing bad things, it's like, but they're justifying thinking they're doing a good thing, even if it's, you know, but yet these evil cults are objectively wanting to do evil. What's we're the motivation trying, for anybody to say, do that? Like we're ripping out hearts to destroy the world. Like, <laughs> hey man, like, can you give me a little more here? Like, and yeah, you look at real world examples, right? Like a bunch of people took the Kool-Aid in Heaven's Gate and wore the tennis shoes. Like, People are, get deluded. Um, and the adventures that cover some of that, I think, are some of the better adventures, right? So uh, I seem to remember one that had cultists, and, like, not all the cultists were on board. Like, usually cultists are generic bad guys these days. Like, they're facelessly evil. Um, but these cultists were like, hey, it's a villager, and he's here because there was, you know, they were making pigs tonight. They were like having a pork feast. He was, he was just here for the fish fry, right? Yeah. Uh, they were like, "Hey, can you watch the door and collect the money?" And he was like, "Sure, I get free fish if I do that." And you get others that are maybe a little bit involved, and others that are like have signed up, right? That like, yeah, I'm level twenty six Scientologist, but <laughs> there's a spectrum here, right? Yeah, and I think the thing, though, is, too, it's like, but some of those, I mean, there are just manifestly evil, like, there should be something. I think a lot of things, it's like, I think with real world cults, it's generally like, you know, sense of community, sense of purpose, yeah. uh, sense of direction, you know, those are all positive things, but, you know, destroying the world, you know, or being sucked into hell and becoming a, 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 a servant to some demon. It's like, that doesn't necessarily sound appealing to most people. Well, it doesn't sound appealing to you. I think it's <laughs> uh, By the way, I'm going to have to like bail out here. Uh, my girlfriend oh. congratulates you on your gay Ikea bag. So. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I don't know that it is, but it is. Yes, it is yeah. Ikea bag. And uh, yes, <laughs> I'll tell her thank you very much. I absolutely will. Hey, thank you for hanging with me. Uh, it's been an absolute uh, joy. Sure, absolutely. Talk to and, you later. Uh, yes, you will. All right. Thanks again, Bryce. Bye-bye.